Hello and welcome to the EOS Podcast, where we interview top-notch entrepreneurs and inspire you to take action. So welcome back to the Evolution of Success Podcast here where we sit down with entrepreneurs and really dig deep to try and find out how and why they've achieved so much success. Today we have the privilege of sitting here with Vince Lewis. Vince is the former CEO of Hyde Park Electronics graduate from the prestigious Harvard Business School owner, president, managed program, and chairman of Logos at Work. Vince is also the head of the entrepreneurial program at the University of Dayton and head of the Arcade Innovation Hub. Welcome to the show, Vince. Thank you. Glad to be here. So would you like to get started with telling us a little bit about your background? Sure. Um, You know, my entrepreneurial background, uh, you know, I I did not set out after college to be an entrepreneur. It was not on my radar at the time. My dad was a was a banker and um, so I kind of felt like that was probably kind of the life I was headed for, right? The, yeah. the corporate banking or some sort of corporate job. Um, you know, I'm a Dayton native. I've been here most of my life. Uh, did my undergraduate work at Western Kentucky. Got my master's degree at Antioch University in Yellow Springs and then graduated from Harvard's um, owner-president managed program. I, it was um, in the early 1990s I had moved back to Dayton, um, and I met who is now my wife, Wendy, um, and she's the CEO of Logos at Work today. And uh, and I was at my brother-in-law's wedding. Uh, he got married about two months before Wendy and I got married, and I was closing down the bar with my father-in-law, Bill Winger, who was the founder of several businesses. And, and at that time, he had five companies running um, in Dayton. and doing, you know, over $20 million in sales total. So he's a very successful local entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. And we're sitting there, it's night, and, you know, everybody's kind of gone, and we're enjoying our, our, our the end of the evening. And he's just kind of telling me his story. And uh, I listened to that, and I said, that's what I want to do. I want to be that guy. I mean, it was just fascinating to me. Mm-hmm. And so I really started to focus on it. And, and in fact... At the time, I was working for a defense contractor that made uh, something called ScramNet. It was a uh, shared memory network card that was used for high-end workstations. So they, they used them in flight simulators and missile telemetry and virtual reality, at, at virtual reality of that day, which was mm. much different than it is today. <laughs> oh, yeah. um, those types of applications. And, um, and so I was at my office uh, the following Monday, and I sat down in my little teeny tiny cubicle and uh, I pulled out a piece of paper and I wrote on the top of that piece of paper, CEO, Hyde Park Electronics. And I wrote on the bottom of that piece of paper, my current job, which was uh, sales and market development manager at Sistran. And then I wrote all of the things that I needed to do to get there. And, uh, um, you know, go to grad school, do this, do that, get more experience here. And I was fortunate that um, I did start grad school right after that. Um, When I finished grad school, um, a position opened up uh, at Hyde Park. My father-in-law did not want me to work there, and we had a guy outside the family that was running the company. And uh, they were, I I had written a, um, uh, a business plan, and at that time we actually wrote business plans as opposed to trying to come up with a, a a more viable business model it was more mm-hmm. of a research document, and I wrote that plan, um, and that was for a, a capstone course in grad school. 
And it was for a fledgling line of ultrasonic sensors that Hyde Park had. Hyde Park was a custom controls company. Uh, we made machine controls for big can manufacturers. So if you think about um, a can, it needs to be tested for leaks, so whatever goes in the can doesn't spoil or leak out. Mm -hmm. um, you need to decorate the can, you need to put lids on cans, and you need to wrap cans with labels and all those types of things. So we made the controls for these big machines that did this stuff. And we had um, a line of ultrasonic technology that had been used for um, sensing diapers for a customers on a diaper line. But we really hadn't done anything with it. We were just starting to develop that. So I wrote a plan, a business plan for this line of sensors um, and how we would grow it, could grow it and you know eventually uh, double the size of our business. And so I got hired in, um, at Hyde Park in, in the mid-90s and that's what I got hired to do. I came into the company. It was a family company, which is a very interesting dynamic. It's a family company where I was the in-law. You know, I'm working for my father-in-law, my mother-in-law worked there, my brother-in-law worked there, and my wife worked there. And uh, um, within a couple of years, I had been named president CEO, and uh, we grew that business. We were very, very lucky. We grew that business to become number one in the world in our segment in ultrasonic sensors which is a small niche of the broader electronic sensing market. Siemens number is number two, and I'm pretty sure Siemens doesn't know they have a line of ultrasonic sensors. <laughs> um, and we were getting a lot of attention. Um, we had started a strategic alliance with a French company called Schneider Electric, and we were private labeling product for them, which means you put it in their package and, and mm -hmm. things like that. And uh, they wanted to buy us. We said no. They kept after us. <laughs> They, uh, they finally, my father-in-law and I had a discussion about it. We said, well, you know, let's, let's tee it up and see what happens. And uh, they made an offer, and it was about half what I thought the business was worth. Okay. And um, so then we approached one of their competitors and said, you know, we got an offer. If you guys are interested, uh, you might want to get, get into this game. And in 18 months, we had seven offers on the company. Um, and you know, each offer was an escalating offer. I would get one offer, and I would go back to the other party, and I would say, "Hey, um, this is what they offered," or you know, "You guys want to up the price a little bit?" Um, and so, in 2003, we sold it, um, and I ran, started, and ran Schneider's U.S. electronic sensing business, which is based here in Dayton, um, and I ran that for four years um, after selling the company. Um, I had to sign an agreement to stay for three, and I ended up staying for four. Hmm. Uh, you know, then I was an expert, right? I was in my early 40s, and I knew it all. I had gone into a family business, and we grew this product line, and I had you know, helped an engineer a really excellent exit for the family, um, and for the shareholders, and for myself and my wife. And um, so... I, I just felt like I knew it all. So I wrote a book, because that's what experts do. We write books, right? <laughs> I wrote a book, it's, it's not a very good book. Mm -hmm. um, in fact, it's a pretty poor book. It's called Rough Air Ahead. And um, you know, if, if you're listening today, please buy a copy of my book. <laughs> You'll be one of a dozen people who has. <laughs> Um, I think it's good night table reading. So if you have trouble sleeping at night, you know, <laughs> buy a copy and, and it, it works great. One page, you're out like a light. Um, I wrote the book on small business management and um, I started, I, so we published that book. Um, I started another one on entrepreneurship. Because what I really wanted to do was work with 
primarily with young people who were trying to get something started, right? And I wanted to work with, you know, other types of entrepreneurs, people who were really interested in, in moving forward with a business. And um, so I wrote this second book on entrepreneurship, and as we were in the editing process, um, we, you know, we were well along. I, I had the manuscripts on my shelf in my office. I realized I wasn't saying anything unique or novel or anything that would really, um, anything that would really benefit a young entrepreneur. I, I was just repeating stuff that, that was already out there. And I said, well, you know, it, it shouldn't surprise me too much. I went into a family company. Um, I had uh, a customer base that I could sell a new product into. I had a, incredible support, which is a key thing for any entrepreneur, family support. Um, mm-hmm. I had a mentor who is my primary mentor today, my father-in-law, one of my closest friends, if not my closest friend. Um, and uh, I, I had cash flow. <laughs> so I just had to make sure I didn't screw things up. And um, I hadn't done a startup. So I gave up my position at Schneider and, and um, uh, we went out and started a business. And at first we started a small incubator, you know, that idea of supporting entrepreneurs and small businesses. So I bought a building, um, you know, we started adding like at that time, Wi-Fi and some other really minor things to it. We have a main conference room we could share, that type of thing. And uh, I quickly became a landlord and hated it, um, and it wasn't working out the way I wanted. Um, and I did that for a few years. But at the same time, we said, well, we want to, you know, we, the community, Dayton, has been very good to us. And I think there is a responsibility for every entrepreneur, um, especially if they have some success, you know, to kind of turn around and help the next folks in line and, um, and to reinvest in your community. And we said, okay, we want to look at ways we can reinvest. And, and I felt like the best way I could do that is to find some businesses to buy um, and, uh, you know, try to uh, grow those. And so we looked and looked and looked and, and um, we bought a small company in uh, late 2007, early 2008 uh, called Hooper Concepts named after a UD basketball player, Bobby Joe Hooper. Um, and I had a partner at the time, a business partner, and uh, we did very well. We grew it about threefold the first year. So we went from like $100,000 to $300,000 in year wow. one. And uh, then I said, well, gosh, you know, this it was it's in the printing and promotions in- industry. We knew that we didn't need a strong manufacturing base to sell into. So we felt like, you know, feds, meds, and eds, that's the market here in this region. And we felt like, yeah, this might work. So we bought a, another company called uh, Skyline Promotions, um, branded it Logos at Work, or had, they had the Logos at Work brand, and we kind of put it all together under one umbrella and grew that. And we, and we grew that to a couple of million dollars in sales in a few years. Um, I still own that. My wife's the CEO. Um, she does a much better job running it than I ever did. Um, I bought my business partner out in 2013, um, and it was a tough time. Logos at Work, running Logos at Work was so different because it's not a high-tech automation business with great margins and all of those. You have to count every nickel. And and it was 2009. We closed on the second acquisition December 31st of 2008. In 2009, the Great Recession hit. Mm-hmm. I mean, we were right yeah. right at the edge yeah. of it. And um, it was surprising that we were able to. We, we put in about 40% of the cash and financed about 60% of the deal. Mm-hmm. 
And um, we pulled that thing out of the fire several times over the next couple of years. Scary, uh, scary times. And uh, but we made it. We were able to pull it out and, and keep it going. So then I, you know, I did that and came to UD in 2014, full time. Became director of this program in 2015, um, and um, and then recently was named president of the university's joint venture with the Entrepreneurs Center, um, the Arcade Innovation Hub in downtown Dayton, where we're creating a 95,000 square foot um, academic and co-share space where entrepreneurship students from the university will be taking classes alongside, they'll be sitting alongside local entrepreneurs who are working on their startups. That's pretty cool. So um, for, for our viewers, they might not be as familiar with Dayton. So can you talk a little bit about the entrepreneurship program at Dayton and what makes it special? Um, gosh, there are so many things that make the University of Dayton special, and there's so many reasons that I love it. Um, I think, you know, there's a, there's a piece of the Marianist educational philosophy which talks about practical wisdom. You know, it's kind of this pragmatic thinking. And you don't just see it in entrepreneurship, you see it everywhere at UD, but it's all about this hands-on learning. Mm-hmm. And in entrepreneurship, that is how we have to learn. Um, you know, I, I teach um, uh, the introduction class in entrepreneurship, the first class, which is called the micro business course, where we have students starting little micro companies, getting funded by the university, and actually yeah, they get a little profit out of the deal too. Um, and I teach the capstone, where we're working with local uh, startups, nascent ventures mm-hmm. on business issues. Um, and those are very hands-on classes. And I tell my students the first day they walk in my classroom, is you know, I really, I can't toss a textbook at you tell you to read pages or chapters one through ten, um, you know, come in on Friday, take a test, and you're an entrepreneur. I mean, you have to experience it. And what you really have to experience is the 2 a.m. wake up. You know, the 2 a.m. wake up is, as an entrepreneur, we've all had it. Uh, if you've been around a while, you know, you wake up at two o'clock on Monday, you need $50,000 for payroll on Thursday, and you have no money in the bank and you're wondering, where am I going to get it? Or you have to go to a relative and say, hey, uh, can I borrow $75,000? I don't know if you'll get it back or not. Um, you probably won't, um, but you know, I need your help. Um, those are humbling moments, um, and I think those are moments that, that really, um, I, I think they make you who, who you are as an entrepreneur. I can't put every student in that situation, but I can certainly help them feel a little bit of it. I want them to feel a little bit of that pressure and ambiguity. I think that's what makes our program special, is, and it's, it's in the history of UD. It's a rich history uh, in the Marianist educational philosophy, and, and entrepreneurship fits in with that so well. Yeah, so what specifically do you feel that students should get from those types of situations, from being under pressure, from especially entrepreneurial students that you teach, you mentioned that you want them to feel that pressure, at least a little bit of it. What about that do you think that they should take from that? Oh, there's, there's so many things. Um, I think one is, it's the idea of persistence, right? They say most entrepreneurs, it takes three attempts to be successful and you fail on the first two. Mm-hmm. And many times they could be successful on one of those first two if they just persisted through it um, yeah. and figured out a path forward. I, so I think that's part of it. I think part of it is, you know, is really getting across to students the, the idea that as an entrepreneur, you're operating in an environment of complete ambiguity. You have to be comfortable with that. You have to be comfortable knowing that um, 
you're creating answers, right? Um, even if something as simple as uh, an IT problem in your business. If you're a small company, you don't have an IT department. Um, you may have somebody that you outsource to, but you probably don't because you can't afford it. Mm -hmm. So if you've got a virus on one of your designer's computers, you may be the person that has to go figure out how to chase it down. Yeah. And, you know, or you're taking out the trash. I remember early on with logos with my business partner, it was very early. It's a January day. It's cold. It's a Saturday morning. And we were there taking the trash out. And he said, live in the dream. And I go, this is it. This is the dream. Yeah. Um, this is how it starts. So, so I think those things, persistence, ambiguity, um, I think, you know, don't take yourself too seriously. Um, if you're successful, you're very fortunate. And um, you just can't allow that to go to your head. You know, mm -hmm. you have to stay humble. You have to keep in mind that while we like to think we do it all on our own, really f to be successful in this game, you need support from all sorts of people. Mm -hmm. and, um, and whether that's in the community or whether that's your peers, your friends, your parents, um, you know, those are important aspects of what we do. And I think just, you know, then the basics, how to manage money in, in, in a business and, you know, identify an opportunity, don't be afraid to, to at least investigate it. And I think the one thing that I didn't do a very good job of when I was young in my career in the entrepreneurship space, which is evident of some of my failures, um, I think it's really the idea of discovery and spending a lot of time, uh, not research so much, just discovery. Don't be afraid to go out and talk to people about your idea. And don't talk to your friends and don't talk to your family because they're gonna, yeah they're gonna tell you it's yeah. it's a great idea right yeah. um because they like you um talk to people you don't know mm -hmm. and yeah. um and when you start hearing people say you know giving you advice or or telling you maybe this isn't the right path or this isn't a very good idea take it seriously and figure out if that's the case or not um, you know so really there's no harm in pivoting from what you originally thought or iterating from what you originally thought. So um, all those things are good. That feedback is good. Mm -hmm. so, so they say that habits make or break an entrepreneur. So going back to your story in 2008, 2009, when the recession was just starting to take place and you were in that position with logos at work where you owed money to your, your um, employees, what kind of habits were able to bring you through that? I'm a marathon runner. And um, and I and this is not you know like hey I'm bragging I'm a marathon runner it's hey um, the habit of knowing you know when you run a marathon you, you it's not just you don't just go out on a Sunday morning or, or a Monday morning in Boston and, and tee it up and, and go out and run twenty six point two you know there's a long training cycle mm -hmm. and, um, and I've qualified for Boston three times and um, for the Boston Marathon three times. And that takes, that's just not the training cycle, that's um, a training cycle after training cycle because you're not gonna qualify, you may not, unless you're gifted, and I am not. You know, you can see by my stature, I'm not a gifted athlete. Um, th that persistence and ability to kind of grind it out, put your head down and grind it out, no matter what, I think that makes a huge difference. That's a habit that is so important, that, that ability to just keep your eye on the goal, keep your eye on the prize, and say, I'm gonna get there. I don't know how I'm gonna get there. 
I don't know what I'll look like when I get there, um, but I'm going to get there in some way, shape, or form. And I think that's the that's the key. You just have to you have to have some faith in yourself and, and your ability to work problems out. But I think it's just a matter of just keeping at it and keeping focused on it. Is there a link between athletics and entrepreneurship? Oh, probably not. Um, I mean, I think that there are certain types of sports, in my mind, I you know, Golf is one that requires a lot of mental concentration and, um, and those types of things. Um, running is one because I think it's great mentally for you mm-hmm. um, to really kind of blow off that steam yeah. and uh, get in your head. Um, that, and that's one of the things I do, especially on long runs. I will spend a lot of time in my head, which is kind of funny because I really don't like myself. So, <laughs> um, But, you know, there could be. I think... I think as an entrepreneur, you need an outlet. Mm-hmm. You know, you're talking about a game, and you cannot, you cannot go into this game and say, "I'm going to work, you know, 35 hours a week and mm-hmm. be a, a billionaire mm-hmm. by the time I'm 35." It's just not going to work that way. I mean, you're talking about 70, 100-hour work weeks all the time. Mm-hmm. You're talking about it really never stops. You know, your phone doesn't stop ringing, the email doesn't stop coming in. Um, it never stops and you just have to be prepared for that because that's you know that's in in and of itself the way it works and and you have to have outlets Mm -hmm. some healthy types of habits that help you uh, that help you get through some of those things you know there's a great quote um, I use this in one of my classes you guys know Warren Buffett I'm sure Mm -hmm. Um, and uh, Buffett uses this quote called uh, he says the chains of habit are too light to be felt until they're too heavy to be broken and you know, what he's saying is, is when you're younger, it's easy to kind of mold your habits and figure out what those are. Mm-hmm. So when you, get, when you think about habits and the, the habits that you have, you know, I, I was very fortunate that um, early in my career I had developed some habits around planning. I had some, I had some internal habits mm-hmm. that were from my family around exercise and those types of things. And I think those things helped me get through some of the toughest stuff. Um, but you guys have a chance, right? Because you can have any habits you want. Mm-hmm. You can look at any person out there and say, gosh, I really like that individual. Mm-hmm. I want to emulate what they're doing. Okay. And um, this is what they're doing, so I'm just going to emulate it. A little harder for me um, when you get kind of set in your ways when you get older. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, it really is important to develop the right habits when you're young. Mm-hmm. You know, you and you see it in, young, in, in folks, right? The not engaging in teams or, you know, not having the work ethic that makes a difference and those types of things, those things get set in now. You know, work ethic is something that I developed when I was, you know, 13 or 14 years old, um, not necessarily academically, but certainly outside of, uh, of uh, the classroom and has stayed with me. Yeah. Um, and so obviously habits play such a big role in success, right? Because I'm sure you guys have heard the quote, you know, it's what you do every day that contributes to your ultimate success. So as kids around our age, what is your advice for kids our age developing healthy habits? Exercise. That's number one. Um, I think if you get into the habit of exercise in some way, shape, or form, I wouldn't be running marathons at your age. <laughs> so if you want to run them at my age, because you'll, you'll, your knees will be a mess. Um, but, you know, get into some... F- form of physical exercise, something that allows you to um, really, uh, I don't know, just stay healthy and fit. I think that's important. 
Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's very important when you get older because um, I think it helps you, it helps with your mental agility. Mm-hmm. Um, it helps with how people perceive you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're healthy and fit and you're, but you know, my dad is 80, will be 86 years old in July. He still runs four days a week. And, and if you met him, you would say, you would think he was in his 60s, you know, <laughs> late 60s. I mean, he, he looks good. He mentally is strong. Um, he, he stays fit. My mom runs with him. She's, she's going to be 82 in May, and she runs as well. And, and you could see it. You could see the effects of that on mm-hmm. a person. So I think that exercise thing is, um, is an important habit to develop um, at your age. I think the other one, and I can't emphasize it enough, is to develop just develop the habit to I always focus even when I came to UD my focus has always been I'm going to work harder than everybody else you know I hear people always say well you know you shouldn't work hard you should work smart well I say you should work hard and you should work smart and and if you if you think that you're going to be successful in your career without putting in the time then you're sorely mistaken and you need to develop that habit right now you need to get that in your head that I am going to have to I am going to have to push myself um, and I am going to have to work hard. And that habit of strong work ethic separates, you could see it, it separates a lot of successful people from, from people who don't achieve their, those goals in life. And, and for a younger audience, I mean, that's essential when you're younger. As you're saying, habits are developed, like at Jared and I's age. So, I mean, that's really when to start working on that kind of thing. And if I could, one, one question that I had for you, Vince, is that you know you talk a lot, and I, I feel like true entrepreneurship involves a lot of sacrifices, right? And you were saying like there are those times where you'd wake up in the middle of the night and you just you couldn't yeah. sleep, you were stressed, and maybe you had anxiety about something going on, whether that be you, business. You talked or about in one of the classes this summer, something that really resonated with me is how you'd roll over in the middle of the night and you'd see this beacon. You, if you guys oh, don't yeah. know Dayton, if you guys don't know yeah, Dayton, yeah. we have a lot of these cell tower cell towers, right? right. Yeah, absolutely. That, that right. blink with red lights, and he was telling us the story about how right next to his, his business, there's this red cell tower, and when yeah. he rolls over in the middle of his night, in the middle of the night, and he sees that red light blinking, it's all he can think about is, yeah. and that just really stuck with me. No, absolutely, and so going back to that is that I think there are two types of motivators. There's intrinsic and extrinsic, right? Like a push or pull. And so in your opinion, and maybe you could share a personal experience, which one of those do you think is better? Uh, push or a pull? Um, you know, I think if you're going to be, I, I think it's, it, I think it's more important to have internal motivation and drive as opposed to external. You know, sometimes external motivation doesn't necessarily feel like you're bought in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. It, it feels like you're being forced to do something. Mm-hmm. I, I, as an entrepreneur, I will tell you, I, I, it's a great story. My assistant at Hyde Park, um, Tracy, who I absolutely love. She was a great assistant. Um, and she, um, when I decided to leave, uh, you know, she was the first person I told. I went to her, and this is early 2007, and I said, yeah, I'm going to, uh, you know, I'm going to uh, retire from Hyde Park, resign from Hyde Park in, in, in the spring. Um, and she said, well, I knew, we, I knew you were leaving two years ago. And I said, <laughs> How did you know I was leaving two years ago? And she said, they started telling you what to do. <laughs> and I think that's kind of an entrepreneurial attitude, right? Um, uh, and, and that's that, that internal, I really don't want somebody coming in and telling me I have to go do this. Right. But I'm more than happy to go figure it out on my own. 
And, um, and so I, I do think that the internal drivers uh, and motivation is much more important than some external force trying to push you. Um, and usually when there's an, if you're an entrepreneur and there's an external force trying to push you, it's probably, it's probably not a positive. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So um, every week on our podcast, we like to ask a question from our viewers on our Instagram. We have a little segment that we do called Ask Evolution of Success. And this week, our question is from the FBA hustler. And he would like to know, is it still worth it to have an MBA these days? Ah, that's a good question. Um, you know, my master's degree is in management. Um, and then the program at, at Harvard was really a more of an executive MBA program. Mm-hmm. I think they're... I, I got a lot out of graduate school, but that was because as an undergrad, I was not uh, serious about academics. Um, I think it's hard to say whether it's worth it or not. Mm-hmm. I think there are some incredible programs um, at the graduate level in the business school that are very defined, and I and I that's really kind of where my head is. You know, uh, masters of we have a masters of public accountancy, we have a masters in finance, we have a masters in data analytics. Um, I think those programs are really cool and very focused um, and you know I think they help I do believe though if you, from an entrepreneurship perspective you know each time I've put myself back in the classroom I've gotten better yeah I mean when I went to when I when I was working for that defense contractor before I went to the family company and I went to grad school and got my master's degree. There were just some things that I did in grad school, the, new, the, the, the business plan I wrote for my capstone course, that really kind of pushed me along in my career. And then when I, I was running Hyde Park and I went to the OPM program at Harvard and I met a professor named Dwight Crane and, um, and I learned this, you know, which I'm sure I'd seen it a hundred times, discounted cash flow analysis model on valuation, on valuating your business. and, and that for whatever reason at the time I was I saw it and it was shown shown to me it really resonated and that really a lot of what we did there changed the way I was running Hyde Park and so I think all of those things um, I think being in the classroom is important I think it's also street cred right I mean as entrepreneurs we feel like you need to be you know you need to be on the street and living it and, and all that mm-hmm. but the reality is, if you're working with a bank trying to get a loan, if you're trying to get investors, mm-hmm. um, that education will make a difference. Yeah, um, because it gives you credibility with people. So, staying on that same kind of educational pathway here, um, you mentioned before that a lot of entrepreneurship is learned through experience, right? And you are obviously a professor here at the University of Dayton. So, in your personal opinion, is getting a degree in entrepreneurship something worth pursuing? Yes. And the reason I, I say yes, you know, of course my opinion is a little biased, um, but the reason I say yes is, is because you're going to get an opportunity to do things with someone else's money. Yeah. You're going to get an opportunity to live some of the experiences that an entrepreneur will have to live, but you're going to do it in a very low-risk environment. Mm. And universities are um, just wonderful spaces to be engaged in for startup ecosystems. You know, I don't think a university is a good anchor for a startup ecosystem, but they can, you know, if I look at all of the, you know, the Entrepreneurs Center, and we have the Minority Business Assistance Center with the city of Dayton, and mm-hmm. the Dayton Chamber has a minority business program, and we have the Small Business Development Center, and, and you know, SCORE, and all these organizations that we're connected to. 
and and that makes a huge difference for somebody who really hungers to try to get something going because um, you can be an undergrad at a university and have all these connections yeah. um, and get all these experiences I think you know I can't speak for all undergraduate entrepreneurship programs but I think for the UD program the big difference is you know you're running a little micro company year one you come into the program as a sophomore and that's what you're doing and um, the experience you get from that, and students, you, you have to talk to some of the alumni, but the experience that you take away from that, because you're learning how to deal with a team and other people and how to sell, which as an entrepreneur, that's you know kind of a key thing. Yeah. Um, how to manage the finances, what an income statement looks like. Um, I know Zach's going through that now. Um, yeah. You know, you're, you're learning all of that, um, and you're learning it in an, an environment that um, is, is uh, of relative safety in terms of you know, personal risk um, and financial risk. And, and one of the things I know I've personally noticed from only being here for like six months is that it, it has a lot to do with like the in-classroom stuff like you were talking about, but it also has a lot to do with the network. Like oh, a university has, or at least I know University of Dayton, we have a great alumni network and a lot of universities have great networks too. And for us specifically, I mean, we're working on podcasts, but it allows us to reach out to alumni. And if we weren't here, it wouldn't be something we could do as easily. And it's the same thing with if you're in any other kind of um, program, like if you're in science or medicine or whatever, I mean, you're getting a whole Rolodex of, of, um, of connections there. That as as you were saying, like the connections are just such a huge part of entrepreneurship and, and business and life in general. And we have leverage now, obviously, as college students, right? Alumni is wanting to help us makes their degree look better. So mm -hmm. yeah, another important aspect. And you know, you're talking about those connections, and you see all of these poster boards behind us, which are um, essentially the schematics, the, the 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 floor plans for the new innovation hub, mm -hmm. which is a joint venture between the university and the entrepreneur center. And that's one of the key factors, right? Because with the UD program, you'll be making those connections with investors, uh, folks who support the startup ecosystem, local entrepreneurs. You'll be doing that when you're 19 years old yeah. um, and engaging with those folks when you're it's 19 so years far old. Ahead, yeah. 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 And that, that helps you establish that broad network. I've been in um, uh, lots of spaces like this around the country. And I've been in these spaces where I've run into people who were from, you know, like that, that I know. I, one was, was an, as an entrepreneur from Pittsburgh. Um, and we happened to be in a space in Chicago and we ran into each other. And I think that that's the sign of that network, the strength of that network mm -hmm. and building it. And, and, you know, this is the type of space um, that will really do that for you. So obviously the University of Dayton has a lot of stuff going along on with entrepreneurship. Um, would you tell us a little about a little bit about um, what the arcade and the innovation hub is about? Sure. Um, so the arcade is an iconic building in, and it's really a series of buildings in the urban core of downtown Dayton. It's about a mile and a half off campus, and uh, it was actually started as a market house. It was built in the early 1900s and ran as a market house. And a market house is, you know, for lack of a better description, like a like a farmer's market, right? Yeah. Um, only the stands were permanent. And um, so it ran as a market house for, you know, 70 years. Um, and it had it ups, his, had its ups and downs, um, actually sold on eBay at one point in the 90s. Really? Um, but the university, um, our initiative with the Entrepreneur Center is to create a giant 
academic and kosher space. So you have a 95,000 square foot space, and in that space you'll have um, some larger companies. You know, they need a little larger footprint, so we call that the, the hub annex. Um, you'll have a 47,000 square foot co-working space with that's real co-working, right? Open co-working, dedicated desk, single office, double office, on up to five-person offices. Um, you'll have um, uh, this center, the L. William Crotty Center for Entrepreneurial Leadership at the university will move down there. Mm-hmm. Our entrepreneurship classes will be in that space. Uh, you'll have other school of business classes in the space. Our College of Arts and Sciences, Department of Art and Design, will have um, upper level studios. So they have a painting oh. studio, oh, wow. printmaking studio. Um, That's an awesome connection too. Yeah, graphic design, photo lighting, a couple of maker areas. Um, the School of Engineering will have some activities going on there. We have a transdisciplinary space called the Gymnasium, which is uh, operated by the Institute of Applied Creativity for Transformation here. Um, fantastic program in creativity. Um, they'll have a space there. So not only will you have this incredible mix of students and entrepreneurs, you'll have students from all over campus. So yeah. we'll just be business school students. Mm-hmm. And you know, that's important because when you graduate, you know, what happens when you get on a college campus traditionally is, you know, you, you take your initial courses your freshman year, which drive you everybody crazy. <laughs> oh, and, yeah. and, and then <laughs> you, and then you move into, um, you move into your kind of your core curriculum in whatever academic unit you're in. Yeah. So if you're in the school of business, you're in your core curriculum in the school of business. And you get into courses in your major, and for the most part, you know here at UD that's in Miriam Hall, and for the most part, you're in Miriam Hall. Mm-hmm. That's where all your classes are. That's where all your friends are. That's the faculty you know. That's where you go every day. Yeah. Um, and you don't collaborate, connect, or work with students from diverse backgrounds, whether that's culturally diverse or whether that's diverse academically. And that's not the way it's going to work when you get out of here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, you're not going to have the luxury of working with just business people. Um, if you're an engineer, you're not going to have the luxury of working working with just engineers, and you're not going to have the luxury. And I don't say it's a luxury. You're not going to have, you know, if you look around, the the opportunity to develop um, uh, teams around diversity is critical. I mean, that mm-hmm. creates. Uh, high-performing teams, yeah. the people that you that you two uh, work with 20 years from now probably won't look like you. They probably won't have the same background, um, and they'll probably operate in a different way, and you'll have to figure that out. And I think yeah. that it's important uh, that you have an opportunity to, to learn these things uh, as a student um, when you're younger. Um, it's those habits, right, and, yeah. and developing those better habits. Mm-hmm. And it drives back to that hands-on workspace that's realistic, not just like, something that's out there it's there you're working with people from different different industries and they're all coming together in one space which is something i think that's really cool absolutely and just for everybody when can the innovation hub expect it to be complete uh, that's <laughs> a trick question isn't it um we're hoping that that our space is ready at the end of this year so okay. december 2020 i mean it's a very complicated project yeah um, but they've done all the demo they're starting to build things out um you know there's a there's a uh, space in the hub called the Shark Tank, mm. which is you know you think of um, um, you think of uh, uh, the show the show <laughs> yeah. yeah Shark Tank, 
and uh, it's a like a theater in the round. So yeah. It's about a hundred, um, you know, under the rotunda building. Um, it's it's going to be it's going to be really pretty cool. <laughs> it, it, it's a really cool project. I mean, the the structural whatever of it is just beautiful. We've and if, there. Yeah, 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 we've we've toured it. And if you guys want to go check out what that looks like, they they have an Instagram page for, it and they do like daily or a couple updates a week on just what what it looks like and it's really cool what's the handle for that okay so there are two um there are two instagrams out there one is um arcade dayton um and they post that's the developers and they post a lot of stuff um and then the other one is the hub i think it's the hub dayton um Mm -hmm. which is the uh the hub itself so yeah if you guys are interested in that project and kind of want to see what it looks like go check that out absolutely yeah, so I think uh, I think just wrapping up, highlighting a couple of key points. Um, so so habits are important, right? We mentioned before that habits and, and sacrificing. But one question that I was going to ask you earlier is that you had zero intention, like you said, of of pursuing entrepreneurship in the future, right? So what about the entrepreneurial lifestyle? Did you find particularly attractive? Hmm. There were a lot of things. Um, you know, part of it was you know, part of it was monetary, right? I, I wanted to make more money. And yeah. I, at the time I was, I always had a really good work ethic and I was working, it was the first time that I had worked in a small closely held business, this defense contractor. And, and, um, I really liked the owner, but I kept saying to myself, you know, why am I working my tail off for this person when I can go mm-hmm. do this for myself? Yeah. And, um, um, so part, that was part of the driver. Um, I think part of it was personality. Uh, you know, I am, uh, an independent soul and uh, I do like that freedom and independence and you know I'm gonna I'm gonna put uh, some parameters around that that freedom and independence that that comes back to a lot of responsibility mm-hmm. um, so you have to be comfortable with within those habits within yeah. those habits yeah. yeah you have to be it's, able it's to uh, self-motivate yeah exactly yeah but um, you know I think it, I think it's those types of things mm-hmm. um, that really attracted me to the lifestyle. I, I don't know that there's a lifestyle, but um, I, I, I guess there is. I think the thing that attracts me about entrepreneurship in general is anybody with any background from anywhere yep. can be an entrepreneur. Skin mm-hmm. color doesn't matter. Um, gender doesn't matter. Your you know personal preferences don't matter. Yep. Anybody can be an entrepreneur. You know, it's 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 just inside of you, and um, I don't believe that people are born entrepreneurs. I think that you know, you just kind of some fall into it, some know from day one this is what they want to do. Um, but I I think that it's the the skill set is the the work ethic and the and things like that. Awesome. Yeah. Well, I mean, obviously we could we could all sit here for hours and hours and talk. So. Thank you, Vince, for, for taking some time out of your day and coming on the show. So just to close out a few things, um, what is your best advice for someone our age who is looking to try and start a business? Final question. Uh, I think the, well, I, I think the best advice I would give you, a, when you walk into my office and say, hey, I'm working on this startup, first thing I'm going to tell you is, is do the discovery. Get out there, ask people about it, get a sense of the marketplace doesn't resonate if it doesn't resonate that doesn't mean you give up that just means you iterate or pivot or keep iterating and keep pivoting until you get something that does resonate so I think that's um, a very important piece of it Um, and I think that's an important that's probably the first thing I'm going to tell you when you walk into my office 
Um, I'm not. I, I I'm not a big believer in going out and raising capital. I, I don't think that necessarily makes a lot of sense. I don't like equity dilution. Um, I think you're better off um, trying to figure out how to bootstrap things. If you can figure out how to get it going, um, just with grit and muscle, and you know the three Fs: family, friends, and fools. Right? I think you're much better off. You'll be much better off in the long run. Um, so I think that's important as well. And then you know, I just, I just, the, the persistence piece is so important. But just you know, be kind to yourself. I mean, mm-hmm. you're gonna, you are gonna make mistakes. And every person you guys look up to, every person you look up to, um, executive, entrepreneur, whether they're famous or not so famous, whether they're, you know, whether it's your parents or, or whoever, whomever, they have a trail of destruction behind them. Um, you know, they have things that haven't worked, and so you just have to be kind to yourself and know that some things aren't gonna work. Awesome. That's, well, a, that's, an, that's an awesome note to leave it on. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you again, Vince, thank you for again. taking some time and, and coming on the show. No we worries. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Thanks, everyone, for listening. And by the way, if you haven't already subscribed to Evolution of Success on iTunes, please do so. Give us a five-star and write a review if you haven't already. Lastly, if you have any questions or suggestions, you can always reach us on social media at EOS Podcast. Have a great day, everybody.